We've been working a little bit through uh, the Gospel of Mark uh, over the past few weeks, and I just want to remind you a little bit of what's been what's been happening uh, in in the Gospel of Mark up to this point is that um, Jesus asked the disciples, "Well, who do you say that I am?" and 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 they said, "Well." Or who do, you, who do people say that I am? And he said, well, a prophet or Elijah or, or you, know, the, uh, one, you know, one of the ones who's to come, that sort of thing. Um, and he said, well, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, says, um, you're the Messiah. You're, you're the Christ. You're, you're the anointed one, uh, the one who is to come and to, and to basically set up Israel again into the theocracy that it once was um, to kick out the Romans because that's what they—that's what they all thought the Messiah was was going to do, um, and then and then after that, as as it goes in Mark, then um, Peter and James and John get to go up on a mountain with Jesus, and they see him transfigured, meaning meaning all of a sudden he sort of glows bright white, and a light is emanating from him, and and Moses and Elijah are there. So so all of a sudden in that scene, Jesus is equated with. With, with the law, Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. And so for the Jewish people, this was huge. I mean, those were the pillars, the law and the prophets. Those were the two pillar people of, of their faith. And so then Jesus is transfigured, and, and, um, and God said, this is my son. And they come back down the mountain, and Jesus, of course, in the Gospel of Mark, always tells them, don't tell anybody uh, about that. And so then, so then he's, he's doing miracles, and and, and all these uh, these sorts of things, um, and and so then we get to this passage. This is uh, Mark nine, uh, starting with the thirtieth verse. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want any one to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, "The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, and three days after being killed, he will rise again." But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they went on to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way, does anybody know what they were arguing about? For on the way, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. There's a lot, there's a lot going on in this passage. Even just that, there's just seven verses here. There's a lot going on. One of the things I think is really, really peculiar to me is here's, he's just with the 12 disciples. These are the folks that are with him all the time. I mean, these are, you know, these are his compatriots. These are the ones who are walking with him. They're eating, with, eating together, sleeping together. They're, I mean, they're, just, they're, do, they're seeing all these miracles. They're, they're doing all this stuff. They see how he deals with things. And it says that he talks about the Son of Man is going to be killed and, and be raised on the third day. And they don't get it, just like we don't get it. And, or at least, like, I don't get it sometimes. And they're afraid to ask him what he means, what that's about. 
I, I mean, I think it's human nature in some sense, right? We're, we're, we're often afraid to ask the question of which we don't know the answer because we don't want to look stupid. I, I don't love the phrase, there are no stupid questions, but, I mean, because I think there are some stupid questions. But, uh, but, but to not ask a question just because you don't know the answer is probably not real bright. Especially if someone who you're with all the time but I, I, I do get it in some ways. You know, in a relationship, it's a hard question to ask, how are we doing in this relationship together? How's it going? I know that I often get afraid to ask Jennifer that question because I probably already know the answer. We're not, you're not doing so good, Joel. <laughs> but she's not going to tell me that, maybe, perhaps. Well, that's not true at all. She'll tell me right away, but it's a whole other thing. But, but you know, but, but I, I might be afraid of the answer that I'm going to get because that means I've got to, you know, I, I need to do something about that. Um, but I just, I just find it, I, 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 I find it human, humanizing about the disciples because sometimes I think people can, who, people who don't read the Bible regularly can get this idea in their head that the disciples sort of had it all figured out. Well, they didn't. They were, they were sort of bumbling along at all different places in their faith, just like we were. After Jesus is raised from the dead, he, um, he comes to them, or they, they go to see him, because uh, he says, come meet me, come meet me, and they go to see him, and it says, when they saw him, some, some worshipped him, but some doubted. And these are the disciples. These, these are not people who just met him the first time, right you know, after he was raised from the dead. These are, these are the ones who were there. They saw him die, and then, and then now they're seeing him alive again. And, and here's the verifiable proof that this happened, and some doubted. So I guess what I want to say in the, about, about this part of it is, is if, if there are times when, you, when you're doubting, that means your faith is alive to me. If you have questions... If you're wondering, but ask them. Don't just let those doubts just sit there and sit there and sit there. Reach out to, it. Reach out to somebody you trust who's, a, who's also a person of faith and, and, and talk to them. Ask those questions. Dig in. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid that somebody's like, well, you should just have faith. Well, somebody says that to you, you have my permission to just say, okay, whatever, and go the other way. I mean, you know, life is complicated there are things that come at us that just boggle the mind, especially now that we can hear everything from every part of the earth, basically, 24-7. I mean, there's always something going on that you're just like, how did that even happen? Why are people even doing that to each other? Or in amazement, right, at the things that science is discovering and the things we're learning about our earth and our universe, you know? So like, what I want to say about that part of the past is just ask those questions. Don't, don't, don't let those doubts just sit there and fester. It's not that we want to eradicate them. We want you to, if, the more you learn about something, the more questions you're going to have. That's good. That means it's a living and an active faith. So, so, in, so in some sense here, don't be like the disciples. <laughs> ask, ask those questions. And so then uh, they come to Capernaum, and, 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 and he's, when he was in the house, he asked them, well, so, because I'm sure he heard them talking, you know. So, so what? What were you arguing about on the way? And I love this. They were silent. 
Um, I don't know if any of you have ever taken care of children, or if you have children, if you have nieces and nephews, or you know whatever, and and, and, some, and something goes crash, bang, and it's broken, and you're like, what happened? And everybody's looking at the sky. You know, um, I can just see the see the disciples like drawn in the dirt with their shoes. You know, like see if the answers are on the top of their feet. They were silent. Because they knew. They knew that what they were doing was not what Jesus would have wanted them to do. They were arguing about who, who was the greatest. I mean, then as Jesus goes on to explain about what it means to be the greatest in terms of the kingdom, that to be, to be the first, you need to be the last to be one of his followers is to, is to be a servant of other people. But it's so much more appealing, isn't it? To be great in the eyes of the world instead of great in the eyes of Jesus. I mean, it's so easy to get caught up in this trap. I mean, even pastors get caught up in this. Just, just FYI. Because, you know, well, why isn't my church growing like Fred's church or Mary's church is? Why isn't our church doing that? Why, why don't we have a big youth group? Why don't we have this? Why don't we have... I mean, you, you sort of can get into this mindset of numbers and money and, and, and in, in the church world, you know, uh, what we call uh, butts and pews or butts and chairs here, you know, that, that, it, that it, can, it, it, it gets a little whatever because then you're like, oh, well, it's only meaningful if we have a thousand people here today. But I think, that's, I think that's worldly thinking. And I don't like to always use that kind of language, but, but that's sort of what Jesus is doing. I, I think, that's, I think that's, that's economic thinking. And as, as one of our great elders here has said many, many times, he says, there is nothing economical about the Christian faith. There is nothing economical about being the church. It is about generosity it is about grace. It is about putting a check on your pride and your hubris. Because I'll own this. I definitely need that. I definitely need that. I, I need to remember humility. And this is the way I understand humility. Because I think we, we often misuse it in our culture. We think about humility as sort of being subservient to people. In the, in the scripture, what humility means is to understand our relationship to God. To understand that we are not God. But it also is, in, in, in being humble, to know that we've been given the Spirit of God. And so that we can, we, can humbly go, we can humbly go in that Spirit and seek to do the things that we need to do. To seek to, to be generous to, put, to align ourselves with those who, Je- who's, who Jesus would align himself with. And so, you know, it is. It's so, much more, it's so much more appealing to be great in the eyes of the world. And, you know, all you have to do, all you have to do is turn on the TV and watch a few ads, you know? Man, if you drive that car, people are going to look up at you. Guys, if you just put on Axe body spray... You know, there's pheromones in that. It's just going to attract all kinds of pretty people to you, you know. 
it's just, it's wild to watch the, these things, you know? Just this whole, this whole thing. Like, it's just so, and then, you know, and then Facebook, and in any, in any profession that you're in, there, there is this, there is definitely this competitive thing. And in the ways of the world, if you're, if you're a business owner, if you're someone, you, you, you do have to do, I mean, you've got to be out there networking and marketing yourself and, and, and doing all those things. If you're going to be able to do the work that you want to do, you, yes, you have to do that. But there is a way of living where you can do that and keep checking your hubris, keep checking, you know, your pride and not, and not measuring yourself based on where you rank in the list of the top 10 doctors in Richmond or whatever. And the flip side of this, when Jesus says you must be servant of all, I, this has also been used in a not helpful way to, to basically put people in their place. Well, you're, you're, you're acting a little uppity here. You, know, you, you, should just, you should just be humble and be quiet. I don't get stuff. This isn't. This isn't to demean people. This isn't to put them in their place. This is to allow people also to have a voice that we can also be humble enough to draw people into conversation who haven't had a voice before. If that makes sense, because I think it's easy to go from, well, you you should be last of all, you should be a servant of all, and you should just shut up. And I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. Throughout Christianity, we sort of the pendulum has swung back and forth on this. You know, back back before Christianity, before the fourth century, and before Christianity was 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 the state religion, Christians had no power. They had no voice of authority in terms of in terms of politics and in terms of the state of of, of things. And then when we got it, then the power sort of went to our heads, and we started doing all kinds of Crazy nasty. And we started separating people out based on whether they believed or not. We started demeaning people based on what they believed or not and who they were or not. And this still goes on today. I believe what Jesus is talking about is that following him, being a Christian, is really much more about solidarity than it is about separation. It's more about solidarity than it is about separation. And that's what wanting to be first of all does. It separates you. Right? I always say it's lonely at the top. It's about solidarity and separation. I just want you to think about that for a while. What, what, would, that, what would it mean in your life if, if in your faith you were seeking solidarity and then you hear this? Jesus took a little child and put it among them and taking it in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me but the one who sent me. Why a child? Anybody? Any Bible scholars, why a child? Right, it wasn't really until I think the Victorian era when, when children began to have some cachet and now, and now, some people would argue is that we're we're a child centric culture, right? They agree, yeah, they agree, and they and they like it that way, right? And they like it that way, yeah. I mean, we we definitely. Well, I'll just I'll just say even 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 in in uh, when I was growing up, what what I what I saw. I mean, I grew up on a farm. My parents worked very hard, like like parents do, and and they had a life. 
Like we had a farm life, and then they liked to go square dancing uh, when they could. Um, you know, they were involved in the church. And so I went with them. I went with them. I learned how to square dance. Can't do it now, but I learned how to square dance. You know, I, 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 here I'm a pastor now. I mean, I think the, the church stuff rubbed off. Um, I went with them. Now, yes, I, um, I uh, wrestled and played football in high school. I was, in this, I was on the speech team and theater and, and drama. But because of the milking, they often didn't come to my, our events because that's when usually they were still milking while we were having events at school. So, I didn't, so they didn't follow me around or take me to things. Their life was theirs, and, and I was mu- very much a part of it, but you know, I wasn't the center of it. Whereas today, I think it gets, it gets very easy, and I hear parents talking about this, all we do is run the kids around. You know? Basically, your schedule is at the will of whatever your kids are involved in. And it just, it's changed that way. So that's, but at this time in history, it wasn't that way. Children, a lot of times, children didn't live. I mean, they didn't, you know, you tried to have as many children as you could because you needed them to help you work the land and, and, and do whatever you were doing because most people lived, you know, basically just lived hand to mouth. And so whatever they could raise is what they were able to eat and trade and, and do all of that. So children weren't worth very much. They weren't held in high esteem. They were, just, they were just part of what was happening there. And so you didn't give them much honor or, or glory. They weren't put up on a pedestal like in some ways I think we, we do it today. And so Jesus brings, you know, he brings this, this you know, this person who not an outcast by any means, but someone who isn't of, of value in the culture and says, when you welcome one like this, you welcome me, and when you welcome me, you don't welcome just me, you welcome God who sent me. And so, if we're going to be servant of all, if we're going to be last of all, it just follows that we are to then have solidarity with those whom the culture says are not worth anything. Those who, who they say shouldn't be given another chance. Those who are too much on the fringe or strange or whatever. And that's a hard message. Because I'll tell you, I mean, when you, when you begin to align yourself with people who are unlike you, it, it'll, it'll, it'll cause some inner turmoil. Because their values might not be yours. The way that they live might not be the way that you live. But when you, but when you begin to open your heart and your life in this way, if you feel God is calling you into a particular community to, to align yourself with those folks, you begin to be opened up to trust and faith in a way like, like you've never been before. Now, I've been talking a lot about the recovery center that we have here. For over 40 years, Westminster has aligned itself with 12-step groups. We've done that, and that's been great work. And, and we're known throughout the 12-step community as Monument Malvern. That's what they call this building. Uh, Monument Malvern. You know, when, they, when they see each other, are you going to Monument Malvern for the meeting tonight? That's how they talk about it. It's, it's really interesting. But now we're a recovery center, and, and so we have people who live in sober homes who, who oftentimes they're just coming off the street. More often than not, they, they just were incarcerated, and so they're, they're coming off of, 
of that on, on a drug-related charge. Um, we, don't take, we don't take anybody who has any history of violence or, or any uh, sexual uh, sorts of charges against them. It's just something that, that these sober homes don't do either. They just don't want to have to deal with that. We need places for those people too, but we've decided that's not what we're going to do. But when you start hearing the stories and when you start aligning yourself, uh, it, it'll break your heart. Uh, because as I've said before, in a, in a group of about 25 of, of those folks who are, trying to, who are trying to get their lives together, trying to get clean, um, you'll have three that in five years will still be clean and sober. Three. You'll have, um, what, 12, 13 that will, have, that will have gone back and forth. Maybe they're sober at that time, maybe they're not, but they're still alive. Maybe they've been incarcerated again, maybe on a worse charge, you know, whatever. The rest of them, in five years, will be dead. That's the statistics right now. And these are people who are not welcome in our communities. When people find out there's a sober home in their community, they get really unhappy. Because the people don't look like them, they don't act like them. And so we've chosen, for better or worse, as a church, solidarity. And we have expectations of them, and I hope they have expectations of us. And so we're talking about who is welcome. Who is welcome? Well... Like that song says, everybody's welcome. Everybody come. And the thing to remember here is it's, just, it's not just about them. You know, the folks who could sit in a chair that, of, the, of, the, of the undesirable chair, you know, the, the worthless chair in the ways of, of the world. Who's welcome? You're welcome. You're welcome in God. You... God wants to, to know you, to embrace you, to, to draw you in closer. All your doubts, all your fears, all, all the great things that you've done, all the, all, the, all the things that you haven't done that you should have done, all those things, you are welcome in God to come to this table, to receive grace, to trust that God is at work in your life in some way, even if you can't see it, and that God is drawing you into this great and glorious story of which we believe the end is good. And so I just ask you to reflect on on this scripture today. What questions aren't you asking? Where is it that your pride is getting in the way of serving other people? And who, who are you willing to be in solidarity with that the world would not choose? May you be blessed and may you know that you are welcome in God and you are welcomed in order to welcome others in the name of Jesus. Amen.